All right, I gotta. You guys gotta go because I gotta record this thing and I gotta run. I'm late. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Read my lips. It's the Ricochet Podcast with me, Rob Long. I'm Peter Robinson and Charles Cook, who's filling in for James Lilix. And today we talk to another James, James Polis, about the coming digital apocalypse and who and what might prevent it. Stick around. I agree. You'll never get bored with winning. We never get bored. Hello and welcome to the Ricochet Podcast. This is number 632, which every time I say a number like that, I can't believe it. We've lasted this long. Or Where did we, we go I mean, wrong? Just, just health-wise. I am Rob Long, uh, joined, as always, by my um, uh, co-founder, Ricochet, Peter Robinson, in Palo Alto. Hello, Peter. Hello, Rob. And we also have with us uh, Charles Cook. Charles, Char- okay, what, what is it? Settle it down. S- settle this now. Charlie, Charles, what is it? Either one is fine. I, no, 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 no. That, that, no, Char- no, no. Charles in England and Charlie in Florida? No, is that the way it different works? people call me both and i just have run with it i just tell people it's not chuck it's not chuck and and speaking of not being chuck it's also not jim it's james lilacs and james is not here james is i think is on the high seas somewhere maybe he's in mexico I, <laughs> whenever whenever james actually goes on vacation and goes someplace warm i always feel like that should have been covered by his health insurance <laughs> <laughs> Just because he lives. Um, uh, we are, of course, um, coming to you from the Ricochet, the the, the, the master servers at Ricochet. Uh, please, um, and I mean that in the computer sense, not in the in the on PC sense. If you like what you're hearing, please come and join us at Ricochet.com and be part of the conversation as it continues. Um, so there's a lot to go on, a lot, lot to talk about, and, I, and I'm, I'm used, as you know, to I'm, I'm, I'm more of a disruptive force. That's my normal job here than actually as a leader, conversational leader, but I'm going to try. Uh, because uh, in, in, the, in the Lenten season, one of, the th- I, I, one of the things I chose not to give up was my evil, mean-spirited glee when bad things happen to people who richly deserve it. So it, it, and as an exercise of that, of my non-goodness, I'm going to say, didn't Lori Lightfoot's defeat oh. in the Chicago uh, uh, mayoral, in the, the first mayoral runoff uh, election before the runoff, didn't that just like kind of make your day? Oh, I'm still in a good mood. It made my week, it turns out. <laughs> just made my week. Um, why, why? Because of course, because justice was done in some basic way, but Chicago is a town, Chicago is a town where democracy has always been optional, where it hasn't really, they have no deep, they have as little experience of real democracy as Argentina say. So in the old days, when the dailies, I mean, the real old days when mayor daily, the, when the senior mayor daily ran the place very interesting he lived in a modest house he seemed never to engage in any personal aggrandizement on his way to city hall each morning he stopped at church for morning mass 
And he ran that thing with the tightest fist imaginable. A buddy of mine here in California grew up. He was a, in the Lithuanian neighborhood. He was the grandson of immigrants. And he once went to the ward boss and said, you know what? Can I get a job just sweeping or stacking chairs in this big convention that's happening, the 1968 convention? He was a kid and he just wanted to see the convention and they did give him a job stacking chairs. But do you know who had to sign on that job? Mayor Daly himself. <laughs> right, right. Even all that said, there's a difference between a man and a regime, the democratic machine that was based on neighborhoods, that was based on some sense of what was a decent life and what wasn't a decent life, what was lawful and what wasn't lawful. There's a difference between that machine and a machine that permits right. a murder rate. If you live in a black neighborhood, good luck to you. Good luck to you, especially on a weekend. Well, if so you don't want to get shot. Yeah. If you don't want your kids shot, stay indoors. That under a black mayor, an African-American, she needed to go start again. So, Charles, isn't this just one more confirmation that uh, this uh, I was gonna say this is a an aftershock many a series of aftershocks that came after the, the the riots of 2020. It seems to me that this is part of 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 that move. The 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 progressive city governance movement went too far and bad things happened. Now the people are pulling it back. But isn't this also the sign that like um, I mean it made me happy because it made me think of oh yeah that's what mayors stick to your knitting like stick to your knitting yes. should be. Um, the new uh, It's the Economy, stupid, don't you think? No. <laughs> I have a different view on this than you, That's good. I'm not, All right. I'm not thrilled and gleeful in the way you are, Rob. And I don't are we being naive, this, Charlie? Well, I don't think this has restored democracy in any way. My read on this is that the city of Chicago is about to replace one interchangeable left-leaning cog with another mm -hmm. of course laurie lightfoot had to say but i'm black but i'm a lesbian that's the only thing that distinguishes her from the other 20 people oh. lining up to take her job whether it's in this election or the one after or the one after and it's not hyperbole to suggest and the one after that because the last time that chicago had a republican mayor was 1934 i don't see this as a victory because I don't think anything will change. I don't think anything will change because the unions in Chicago are untouchable, because the piety is that every single person who is apparently eligible to make it through as Chicago mayor has to promise fealty to have not yet been collapsed. There's no Giuliani moment here. Mm. No, that's true. There's no doubt. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that. But if you, if a, if a, if a mayor is tossed out because crime rates are too high, and the person who seems to be the front runner is the person saying, "Hey, we got to get the crime rate down," isn't that a small incremental benefit? I mean, I, 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 I agree so. that he's. I'm sure he's a progressive weirdo in all sorts of ways. But you know, he, he's, he, the, the ashes, the, the smoke is still uh, in the air from the auto de fe of the previous mayor. Don't you think that's going to matter? Well, yeah. I, I suppose what I'm saying is to me, this looks a little bit like a polity saying taxes are too low. We have to get rid of Art Laffer. Who do you want? We'll take Paul Ryan. 
it's just not a material change. And yeah, she's not going to be there. But Chicago does not seem to me to be serious about fixing what are extremely serious and extremely sad problems. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they've got rid of her is good, but I don't. So think you're just better than me, Charles. You just saw this. And you didn't laugh and cackle gleefully. Oh, I'm thought, not oh. better than you. I like nothing more than to cackle gleefully at people's <laughs> misfortune when they deserve it. But I just don't think that. This is quite the cathartic moment. Okay, so here we go. Here's, a, here's Illinois, and in particular Chicago. The schools are no good. Taxes are punitive, and the regulatory regime is driving businesses out of the city. And crime is out of control. We have a mayoral candidate who says, well, let's see. I'll take on one of the three. That is not good enough. It isn't a fundamental change in outlook. I agree. This guy ran the Chicago schools. That means he is clearly in bed with the teachers' unions. The schools are not going to get better. He hasn't said a peep about cutting taxes. And in fact, it seems likely that he's going to ask for more tax. The business community has to fund the police. That we can all, we can see it coming. But at least he has, <laughs> you know what? I can tell you have r- argued Rob and me into this miniature kind of de minimis <laughs> position. I'll take miniature. It's I'll take diminished. It's bad. Charlie, cheer up. It's not. As yeah. bad as it was yeah. the day before she lost. That's I'll about that. all we can say. But, but yeah. look, every time, every time, um, a Lori Lightfoot goes down, an angel um, gets you know, his an wings. angel gets his wings. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a it's a incremental <laughs> steps here. We're not going to win World War Three, but uh, is it also? And I and we want to get to obviously to our guest here, who's an old friend of Ricochet. Before we do, isn't it part? Am I now seeing connections where there aren't any? So disabuse me of this. Um, the D.C. Uh, City Council, Washington D.C., which is about as um, <laughs> a perfect a progressive Eden as you can come up with. Uh, they came up with a. Um, They came up with a set of laws that would essentially turn um, D.C. into a lawless state, much like Chicago. Um, All those things have to go through Congress because of the way D.C. is governed. Uh, The Republican um, Republicans uh, passed in the House passed a resolution uh, saying that Congress would nullify those laws. The bill is now in the Senate. Biden has come out essentially to support the. I'm trying to get this right, so I'm, I'm not confusing he myself. He said he won't veto it. He won't veto the bill. He will not veto the actions of Congress to stop the D.C. City Council Correct. from essentially tossing out um, um, what we would consider to be just standard law and order procedures. Isn't that a small incremental little stream of no, light I in think your dark right. universe, Charlie? Is like when you're like when you look on the horizon and see nothing but storms and storm clouds and orcs. Isn't this well, look, a- I don't want to be I was gonna say I don't want to be that guy, but we our crime rate is at a 50 year low. And I think that, that in, in is, Florida. Yeah. And I think that that is important. But I do think that you're right that Yes, there is a de minimis, as you put it, pushback, and there is a pattern of de minimis pushbacks. I suppose what bothers me, and I know we need to move on, but what bothers me is that we know how to avoid getting into these positions. We know better. We really know better. And we therefore have at our disposal, and I'm saying our, on behalf of people who live in different places than me, we have at our disposal a set of tools that 
have been proven to work again and again and again, and we're not doing it. And that is a choice. And I just look at this Laurie Lightfoot situation and I think, well, it's great that she's gone because she's a terrible, terrible leader and a weirdo, but I don't see people pulling the lever to change this across the board. But you do see Chicagoans, you do see Chicagoans moving to Florida. Well, right. Welcome to America. At least we do have red states here. You can vote for your feet. Uh, And you can sleep soundly in Florida, or you can sleep soundly wherever you are. That is a good segue. So just you both oh, can yeah. stuff yeah. it. Right. Right. Uh, if on if you got the right sheets. Uh, it's freezing here in, in New York City. Um, actually, and weirdly rainy too. Uh, and I know it's it's cold in Los Angeles. Is it cold Same where here. you are, Peter? Uh, it's cold, gray skies, rainy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna breeze right by where uh, where Charlie's whatever weather he's experiencing, which seems rather um, you know. Anyway, look. Uh, but there's one thing that we all enjoy, which is a good night's sleep, and you can stay cozy all winter long, or you can stay relaxed and cool all winter long. If you live in Florida, with a set of buttery soft sheets from Ball and Branch, they are made with 100% organic cotton threads, and they get softer with every wash. I'm here to attest to that i have some and they get better with every wash just like good sheets should soft and you know they remind me i was once in a very very fancy grand old european hotel and the sheets were the they were amazing because they were ancient and they were washed you know every day and they were ironed and they were just fantastic and that that is the experience of ball and brand sheets they use the highest quality threads on earth their sheets are made from slow-grown organic cotton for a superior softness and a better night's sleep they feel buttery to the touch and are super breathable so they're perfect for both cooler and warmer months or the cooler months that we experience and the warmer months that charlie experienced at the same time this is why their signature hemmed sheets are a bestseller and loved by millions and you can hear from more, ten, more than 10,000 of those happy sleepers who've written great reviews. Uh, always check the reviews. That's how you know Ball & Branch is a great product. Make the most of bedtime with Ball & Branch sheets. Get 15% off your first set when you use promo code RICOCHET at ballandbranch.com. That's Ball & Branch, all one word, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is RICOCHET. And we thank Ball & Branch for sponsoring the Ricochet Podcast. And they've been uh, sponsored for a long time. It's a, it's kind of nice to see this, like, you know, I, I kind of want to buy sheets again, even though I have ball and brand sheets and they're excellent. Um, so moving on, I, I, there's one more thing I want to talk about. We're going to put it to the end. Uh, I want to, I, I need to talk about this, the new blogger law in Florida because it seems to be lighting up uh, everyone. And, and it just seems like the stupidest thing yeah, I've Charlie, ever read. Look, look, look um, who's going to be on the defensive yeah, now. Exactly. But, uh, but before we get there, but, so I give you time now to come up with a contrarian view about why, why actually it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, before we talk about that, let's in, in introduce or reintroduce our old friend, James Paulos. James is the editor-at-large of the American Mind at the Claremont Institute. He's the author of Human Forever. He's founder of the online publication Return. He was an editor-in-chief and one of the early founders of Ricochet.com, and we welcome him back to the Ricochet podcast. James, how are you? Where, well, first of all, where are you? Well, how are you? Good. Where, so where are you now? Are you in, uh, in Southern California? I am in Glendale, California, where it is sunny and clear. It's a beautiful day. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. You and Charlie can. So, all right. So, okay. I'll I'll show myself out. Yeah, exactly. Um, Your book is called Human Forever. The subtitle is The Digital Politics of Spiritual War. What does that mean? Well, uh, 
it means uh, it means a couple things. Um, technology has uh, developed to a point where, as I think more and more people are noticing, um, fundamental questions are being raised about why we humans should bother to do much of anything. Why should we get a job? Why should we? Um, participate in public life as citizens? Why right. should we right. get married? Why should we have children? Why should we have sex? Why should we leave the house? Why should we leave our beds? Um, why should we ever put Rob Long down? has been asking just these questions. All <laughs> these Sounds night. like you've been but, reading yes. my dream journal. <laughs> <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, you know, these are, these are the ultimate questions about who and why we are who we are as, as human beings. Um, and they have ultimate answers. They have theological answers. These are sort of theological questions, and that's what the, the great religions of the world have been wrestling with from the beginning and uh, what the philosophers ponder. And, um, and so in the face of these great questions, uh, there are competing answers. Um, if you, you know, if you look at what our regime has become just since the, uh, since the, the, the debut of the iPhone and the, the, uh, development of the, the smartphone into a commodity, um, our regime is moving in a direction where it has very, uh, clear and to many Americans, very alien and bizarre answers. Um, such as, well, we're going to create a social credit, social justice system, and we're going to onboard everyone into it. And everyone is in some sense right. going to be a cyborg, uh, right. whether it's digital ID or, or CBDC or, or a combination of all of the above. Uh, the great heroes of our society are those who are um, at the frontier of transhumanism, uh, whether they call themselves uh, transgender or trans whatever. Um, <clears throat> And uh, the not just the tolerance or the acceptance, but really the adulation, the celebration, the worship of these figures uh, and of the kind of Borg that, that unifies them all together is going to be the new uh, state religion, established religion. Uh, constitution doesn't extend into cyberspace. Um, and that's their answer. Uh, that's what's supposed to give our lives meaning. Who's that's answer, what's supposed though? to order our lives. Is it, but is anybody? But is anybody arguing in favor of this? It seems like every time I turn around, it's like mostly people arguing. I mean, overwhelmingly people arguing against all of this. I mean, uh, yeah, um, they, what is it? They now know that you know the uh, um, suicidal ideation. I guess is what they call it, and the depression and anxiety in young people has zoomed up. Not since you know Greta Thunberg is telling us we're all going to die global no it's not global warming it's none of these big things it's just the fact that Instagram makes people miserable and or Facebook before it or Twitter or TikTok or Snapchat and yet we what are we on we seem to be on a runaway train to do all that and to use all of that I mean we're talking on Zoom right now James we didn't have a podcast in 2008 and 2007 actually we did we've done 632 of these are we con are we contributing to the general dehumanizing um cascade well it's difficult because the, the the point of the spear here is the weaponization of our communications technologies um and uh we live in a society where people are very accustomed to speaking their mind to having opinions uh to thinking that if they kind of get it right in speech then it's only a matter of time before they get it right in in action <clears throat> uh and what's uh, I think demoralizing a lot of Americans is discovering that, you know, the regime has moved in a direction where, you know, you can sort of flap your lips all you want and it's really not going to change anything. People in charge are folks that you can't vote in, you can't vote out. 
Uh, they control the technological infrastructure in a way that is impenetrable and inaccessible to the practice of citizenship. Uh, it's bad stuff. Um, but you're right. There are a lot of people who are who are reacting against it. Could I double back on Rob's question a little bit? No, not a little bit. Quite, I'm sort of reframe the whole the repeat the question actually. So I can see. We can all see it. We can all feel it. That this move in the direction of AI, of a surveillance state, of social credit, we can all feel it happening. I got censored for 10 days during COVID. We all know people, Jay Bhattacharya's story is horrifying. We can see it happening, we can feel it happening. Is it happening out of sheer inadvertence, or are there actually people who do indeed make, have convinced themselves that the argument you just put is the correct argument and that we ought to be doing this and do those people inhabit the deep state i exchanged example of question or sort of illustration i was exchanging emails the other day with david galantner who knows a thing or two about this the yale computer scientist who he's not an old man but he was a sort of a genius very young he helped to invent the discipline of computer science and he said that within a couple of decades we won't even have the option of driving our own cars but that's because there will be planners, city planners, people in New York, and suddenly it will become the argument if you're in Manhattan and they can actually take control of traffic, accidents go down, the city becomes much more livable. Do you see what I mean? It'll be kind of inadvertent adoption of these things. Is that the path? Or, or are there really, are there journals and people online, I'm sure, ex actually exchanging ideas and saying, you know what? The CCP has it right. We should have a social credit in this system. Oh, yeah, I think you can see it openly, whether it's World Economic Forum or, or other fora. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, the, the Five Eyes is uh, working as a single unit, and that, you know, that might be uh, comforting at a time when there's a serious great power conflict. But you, when you look at the way that that power has been wielded over the course of the pandemic and beyond, whether it's in Australia or Canada or New Zealand or the UK, uh, the the uh, the boot comes down at home before it, it comes down on anyone abroad. Uh, and that's a serious problem. The indications are everywhere. And because these are the theological stakes here, uh, any powerful answer that's going to come forward uh, for how we should, uh, you know, uh, uh, do a great reset or refound society, it's going to be rooted in some kind of theological propositions. You look around the world, the Chinese are doing this with Taoism, the Russians are doing it with Russian Orthodoxy, uh, the Vatican wants to be a big player in how the EU regulates technology, the Israelis have their own thing going on. Um, every civilization state that is trying to assert and, and secure its digital sovereignty is doing so by trying to reorient public life and governance. Uh, on the basis of their oldest religious roots. If those are my choices, I wish to be ruled by the Vatican because the ineptitude will create all kinds of freedoms for us. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, you'll see sort of which uh, which of these which of these models is is capable of uh, of of doing what it promises. And then I, I think you're right. I think as uh, some of these gray areas of sovereignty open up, you're going to get uh, all kinds of, of weird and unusual alternatives uh, cropping up where they're able to do so. So first off, I just want to congratulate you for the amount of wine that you have over your right hand shoulder. That is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's impressive collection to to rival my own. I have an extreme question. I'm going to put it in extreme terms. What you're describing is dystopian. What you're describing is something that any free person should want to avoid. 
should we want to destroy the technology that's enabled this? And because usually you hear people say, here are all the good things about the internet and here are the bad things. But if you're right, the good things will not offset or outweigh the bad things. Should we want to destroy this digital environment we've created? Well, I think that um, I would answer that in a couple ways. Uh, there are some things which are likely to destroy themselves. I think if you look at the course of human history, you will see that there is something of a pattern where <clears throat> terrible ideas that are pursued fanatically tend to implode on themselves. And I think some of that is going to take place. Uh, however, at the same time, um, it seems clear that unless there's a real sort of planetary cataclysm, uh, much of this technology is not going to go away and it's not going to be destroyed simply because it's very difficult to destroy it, uh, whether in its own right or because it's so powerful that some sort of sovereign uh, organization is going to uh, be there with guns and whatever and, uh, and prohibit it from being destroyed. Um, and, and it's true that, you know, even on the level of like, well, maybe if we just got rid of the bad guys, everything would be okay. It's very difficult to destroy uh, that class of people, um, even if they were all sort of terrible and needed to be got rid of. Um, there are going to be evil people at every level of society, so, you know, your mileage may vary. I, I think the important thing is that we need to uh, understand um, and live out um, ways of interacting and using uh, our technology that actually strengthen our way of life, strengthen our form of government, strengthen uh, our humanity. Um, and that can be done. Americans used to be very confident with regard to their technology, getting their hands dirty, rolling up their sleeves, putting their hands on their tools and their machines. Uh, and at some point that has that has changed. It's been, it's been to a degree surrendered and to a degree taken away. And now many Americans feel um, alienated from their technology, intimidated by their technology, um, subservient to their technology, enslaved by their technology. Uh, and the reality is that there are some tools out there that are very powerful uh, that it, you don't need to be, a, a, you know, an electrical engineer or a Silicon Valley nerd or a blue check or anything else. You can put your hands on them right now and start using them to do those things that strengthen us. I published Human Forever on, on Bitcoin. It's, it's uh, encrypted on chain. It's for sale in Bitcoin. Um, worked out financially, which, you know, was a proof of concept for me. But really, I wanted the medium to be the message of the book. You do not need to be some kind of super expert nerd in order to do this. The technology is advanced to a point where, yeah, you know, you can do an end run around the the New York publishing industry or around the, you know, around Wall Street and just do this stuff yourself. And yes, the regulators are circling, uh, but that's all the more reason why, you know, Americans really need to become adult about this and be willing to take one step in what might be an unfamiliar direction in order to reclaim some of the power. That so there's nothing Luddite about you. You're using technology to combat the technology. Well, I mean, if only it right? were, you know, if only it were as easy as just uh, driving a truck up to the data center and there's a kaboom and everything goes back to normal. Well, I'm and, getting back to Brother know, you... Charles here down in Florida, who seems to be coming very close to suggesting that if there were a button he could push to eliminate the smartphone, he'd do it. Well, I'm asking, given the conclusion. Oh, he, now he's just asking. He's just uh, asking. James, well, look, I'm obviously a, very much pro-technology. I co-own a technology company. I just, I'm just asking that you know, if I believed what James is saying, I would wonder whether the whole thing ought to be nuked. 
Well, I, 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 you know, if, if that were an option, maybe more people would be trying it out. But I think the fact that no one is trying reflects that it's not really an option. Uh, the, the root of the issue is us. And if we become obsessed with trying to create uh, an alternate universe of our own device, if we become obsessed with becoming as gods, if we become obsessed with destroying or obsolescing our own humanity, things will continue to go in a dark and horrible direction. Uh, right. and I mean, the problem, the problem is you gotta, gotta get us to give up some of the good stuff. Like I'm on the subway, you're on the subway, um, everyone's on their phones. It's nice, people on their phones, they just, they're not making noise, they're not even looking at each other, they're just on the subways and everybody's nice and uh, in their own cocoon. I like that. I understand there's probably a benefit to having everyone who is a part of a civilized group. We're all in the subway car together and we're all going to be humans together and make eye contact. I don't want to do that in New York City. I like it that I like when people are very busy themselves with their, you know, games or whatever. It used to be newspaper. It used to be paperbacks. Yeah, no, it was, it was always kind of like spooky eye contact Ooh. with a weirdo. <laughs> now the weirdo's got an iPhone. I don't have to worry about him. It's um, very hard to stop a weirdo oh, oh, from looking. Oh, you weren't yeah, the weirdo yourself. True. Sorry, I I, I'm assuming that I'm not the weirdo. So let me let me pitch this to the to the group here. It's, it's something a friend of mine, very smart, very accomplished, uh, technological tech entrepreneur, uh, very successful tech op- entrepreneur, told me recently. This is what he tells his children, and they're I think you know teenagers or maybe older teenagers. He says there's, there are three things you need to know about the future. Three crucial things for the future. One, blockchain. Two, machine learning. Three, Jesus. Because if you have the first two and you don't have the third, I mean, he he sort of, I mean, he he, he said Jesus, but he sort of, he means it in the This is not an Episcopalian, I gather? This is, in fact, an Episcopalian. Really? And he said that the, the, the last one is what... he didn't say Mr. Jesus? What, yeah, no, that's right. The last one is what makes the first two tolerable, not dystopian. And if you have the first two and you don't have the last one, you don't have the spiritual piece, the human piece, I'd say, right? Then the first two are inevitably going to turn bad. Is that, what do you think? Yeah, that's where this is going. I mean, look, we need to catechize our bots. If we're not catechizing our bots, someone else is catechizing theirs uh, to tell us what to do and how to live and who we are as human beings. Um, you know, it's it's the the form of all of this technology. You know, that's this innumerable, invisible, instantaneously uh, communicating um, entities. Until uh, you know, twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, the only the only entities that people human beings thought could do these kinds of things were angels and demons so the spiritual stakes are are baked right in and the form of all that technology which most people interact with is as as something that's invisible is like a is is like a big swarm a swarm that that is engulfing the planet and so when you're thinking theologically when you're thinking about jesus you're thinking about religion um yes you're thinking about you know the message of the ancient church which is if you put your faith and your hope in your senses and your passions you will be led astray and destroyed um and these are devices that encourage us to do that or, or give us a greater temptation than ever before does this explain asbury kentucky through the 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 revival, an amazing story. Did, do, you well, get, do you know what I'm talking about, Charlie? Yes, and I do, yes. and and to yeah, a degree, yeah. I think it does. But I also think you know that that religion, quote unquote, is not enough. Um, in order to uh, assert some kind of real mastery and authority over something like the digital swarm, you need uh, a kind of human body, a kind of spiritual body. 
um, that is that is bigger, that has that spiritual authority. And I think that's going to be the church. You know, if if everyone's just kind of randomly gathering together and standing in rooms and and praying a lot, you know, obviously that seems like a, a step in the right direction okay. in some sense. But I now don't think we, it's going to be now, organized or powerful enough. Now we need to go to the house the house atheist, Charles. Well, I wonder why you think now is different. I'm not suggesting that it's not. But if you look at, for example, the, the Pessimist Archive account on Twitter, I don't know if you've seen this, but it has all sorts of warnings that were issued in newspapers and from religious authorities and from speakers and critics and politicians throughout history, from from the invention of the printing press to the radio to video games in the 1970s. What is it about now that makes this so complete? Is it that the internet is all-encompassing in a way that the radio was not? Is it the acquiescence of politics? What's the difference? Well, I think that the difference is one of scale. Um, and this is something that scales up to the level of encasing the Earth in a, a sheath of satellites, um, all the way down to the molecular level, um, all the way down to, you know, okay, we're going to immortalize some brain cells and hook them up to some wires and turn them into organoid robots. Like, it is saturating every level of life at a scale that is super, that is that is unhuman, and, and I think often an anti-human. Um, but look, we can we can do this with any kind of technology, and it's true that during the Industrial Revolution, there was it was the latest and greatest way of of uh, of dehumanizing people. And if you go back to uh, you know uh, the the new Soviet man, uh, with the, the Russian communists, they were trying to do just this. They were trying to get to post-humanity. They were trying to use technology to uh, leverage us out of our human condition, out of our given human being, uh, and create a kind of cyborg superorganism. Uh, that's what they wanted to do then. Um, that's what's going on now. That that same kind of effort. And so, in none of it should really. You're right. Be that shocking. Um, if you do sort of go back and read, you know, the ancient church and the the desert fathers and all those guys and the saints, uh, none of them would be surprised by what's going on right now because it all fits the pattern. Uh, and the pattern is uh, the arrogance of man and the desire to become as gods, um, and the hope uh, of of using uh, our tools, uh, dead matter, the material world, uh, to create a sort of uh, you know to become the demiurges of a new universe that we can disappear into forever. So, so to to Charlie, if I may, to Charlie's point. What's different now? Two questions for the uh, for the house. Well, one question for the house and one for Charlie. Here's the question for the house. If David Galentner is correct, and I can see no way to gainsay him, that the the interior political dynamic of self-driving vehicles is that we will no longer be permitted to drive our cars. If that's correct, does that feel like a loss of freedom? Does it feel Oh, to me, it does. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so that's item one. And then item two, Charlie, as, you'll correct me on this. You'll actually know this. I, I have a vague impression from reading over the years this piece, that piece on Britain. As far as I can recall, in the Western world, Britain has the policing, the police in Britain have more cameras in public places than any other country in Europe, and far more than we have in the United States. Are you, has that change the feel of everyday life in Britain? Does it mean anything to walk 
the streets of London and now to know that the police are watching you and there's facial recognition technology scanning the crowd for uh, the original idea was terrorists, but who knows what all kinds of categories people are being put into. He, he, does it feel different? Yeah, there's a poem. I forget who it's by. It has this line in it, all watched over by machines of loving grace, uh, which is creepy as hell. That's what I feel like walking through London. I've written about this a lot. The British comfort with mass surveillance of all sorts is bizarre to me especially given that nominally it was supposed to be the precursor to American liberties, including the Fourth Amendment. On the, uh, the, the, your first question, cars, I've actually called Peter for a 28th Amendment to the Constitution that prevents the government from passing laws that force people into vehicles over which they have no control because keep your hands off my golf cart well certainly golf <laughs> it'll be the first line of the amendment but the difference now with with cars that drive themselves is that you you cannot have a car that drives itself without that car's being tracked Yes, correct. And a car has, True. by definition, if it is to drive itself, to know where it is. And to know where right. it is, it has to be connected to the GPS network and probably to the internet. And as a result, there is no way of doing that without surveillance. And so although I don't object if people want to turn on their GPS, I do it myself, the idea that they would be forced to, I find extraordinarily creepy. And so, I, I mean, I think that's a massive loss of liberty and one, one that I would oppose, yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to say, when they, when they come to take your liberty, I mean, normally, and not in totalitarian regimes, but in these, these kinds of regimes, they, they first, it comes as, as a form of a present, right? I mean, the, the technology behind GPS isn't map technology. It has the, the missing piece of data for traffic has always been the central brain doesn't know where you're going. And once the central brain knows where you're going, right? I mean, it used to be you get in the car, you get in the, in the car, you drive somewhere, <coughs> only you behind the wheel and any of your passengers know where you're going. Now, of course, the central brain does if you use GPS because you've told it where you're going. And so it can, you know, it's only a matter of a few steps from that was the one missing piece of data that they needed because that's the one piece of data that's inside your head. Everything else is public. I just, um, But it makes life easier, right? So, so what I'm saying is that when I come to take your, take your liberties like this, I first give you a gift that you really prize. Well, a gift, but then there's also a lot of moral bullying that's involved. I've, I've tried to game this out, and I, I think you're right. It will be sold as an advantage to you. But all of the rhetoric we hear around, say, gun control is instantly transferable to driving. I mean, driving is far, far more deadly in the United States. True. Uh, right. Than, than, say, mass shootings are. And so we will hear how many more have to die. We'll hear sub stories about people who died in car accidents, which is, of course, horrible, but it's part of a free society. Uh, we will be told that um, human beings are irresponsible and that they can't be trusted. Uh, of course, if America gets to the point at which it's trying to do this, at least federally, some other country will have done it first. So they'll say, well, they already did it in Sweden and Germany. And look at these civilized nations who, when they had car crashes, Congress acted. Um, 
I just think every single you know trick that we already have will be applied to this. But I guess what I'm saying is that there's 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 something about gun control that's clear to me that it's the state imposing a regulation on an unwilling population, especially gun donors, right? But the, I think what James talked about, James, jump jump in, is that is that there's a complicit, like it's I don't know, like maybe I kind of don't mind it, like you know, rich people during COVID were like, yeah, you know, listen, lockdown's not so bad. I get my food delivered from somebody. He's outside. I get to work on my laptop. That's a regulation, but it's not the worst thing in the world. I get to hang out at home and I don't have to go to work. And the, the when they come and they start ebbing away at your human freedoms, isn't isn't the biggest piece of that? our acquiescence to it because it comes like candy. Like, oh, this is going to be easy. The worst Human freedom is, is nothing if you don't care about your humanity. If our humanity yes, itself yes. is totally disenchanted, if our connection with the divine has been totally severed, and if people think that, the, that, that human beings suck, that, that the existence of humanity is in an injustice, that we're obsolete, uh, that we deserve to be replaced, then we will be replaced. It's like, you know, John, John and Yoko is saying, like, war is over if you want it. Well, like, humanity is over if you want it. And, and unless we, unless we uh, muster the spiritual authority to, to insist once again that actually, yes, the body is sacred, that it is inviolable, uh, yes, the soul exists, yes, um, we are not just organisms that have appeared on this, on this rock that's twirling through space, um, then we're going to get rolled. It's that simple. James is real, in my, this is subjective, this is just points of evidence but i sit in i work in the middle of stanford university which is the go-go spot for tech right and has been for three four decades now and particularly with this chat what it was the thing called the chat bot it's called what is it called gpt thank you very much chat gpt the kids there's a kind of scooby-doo moment there's a kind of oh Tech, maybe, maybe the humanities have something to say to us. After all, maybe, of course, I'll do my major in CS, but maybe I'd better minor in history or philosophy. Maybe, maybe we need to discover not only how to parallel process, but what it means to be human. There's just, just this sudden, the suddenness of the thing just stuns me. And I, I'm sure that James is on to it. There's a, there's a kind of, pulling up short and saying, maybe before we go too much farther with tech, we ought to stop and think what the traditions have to say to us about what it means to be human. Kind of thrilling for an old English major like me. And you too, Rob, yes? Well, maybe. I mean, I, I guess I sense anyway, the Anyway, I sense it. I sense it among yeah, the kids. Yeah, to, to quote the great philosopher Bob Dylan, you know, everybody's got to serve somebody. The, human beings are worshipful creatures, no matter what the atheists like to tell us. And if we are not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else, uh, whether it's a, a, a device in our hands or an abstract idea um, or, uh, or a, a, a cyborg uh, entity that swallows up the earth. Um, and so, you know, I, yeah, it's great to, to, you know, be literate and to remember that there are thousands of years of, of a written record of uh, intelligence and excellence and human flourishing and sensitivity and love and all that. Uh, but if, uh, if we're not kneeling in the right direction, then we're going to be kneeling in the wrong direction. 
Okay. Um, I can't top that, but I, I can ask you this question. How hard is it to get your damn book now? Now that I know I can't go to the bookstore and get it. Is it like a thing where I got to go and have a digital wallet? I do get a Coinbase. And- it's very easy. You don't even need to, you don't even need to leave your house. <laughs> just, just, just go to canonic.xyz that's c-a-n-o-n-i-c dot x-y-z uh the uh the book is human forever and uh canonic uh uh founded by a, a friend of mine they just opened up their beta to the public which means that anyone yourself included can hop on and uh and upload your manuscript and have it encoded onto the bitcoin blockchain and you yourself can sell it and uh in uh in bitcoin for for any of the major bitcoin chains uh and start making money now he speaks the truth. I just did it. I just did it. Canonic.xyz and boom. Human well, forever. Peter did it. James I got to tell you. It's I'm the test easy. case, baby. Yeah, I'm the test right. case. It may be too easy. I think you should put in a few more uh, <laughs> thresholds there. Hey, James, it was great to talk to you. Such a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'll see you soon. Take care. Uh, okay. you in the, we'll see you in the dystopia. Yeah. Yes. All right. See All you right. in the present. Thanks, James. Bye-bye. Uh, you know, you keep th- thinking that you're old, Peter, but the truth is that you might live to see this because it is possible to expand, extend your lifespan and feel younger at the same time. Oh. According to a Harvard, it's a good segue. It is a oh. good segue. It is a good segue. It was a good segue. Um, Charlie, according Charlie, to a Harvard scientist him. and Nobel Prize winning um, breakthrough artist, there is a way to do all of these things, and it's by lengthening your telomeres. Now, the telomeres are what protects your DNA, and they play a critical role in the aging process, but many of us struggle with shortening telomeres thanks to stress, unhealthy food, obesity, that kind of thing. That's why we recommend Youth Switch. Youth Switch is all natural, doctor approved, and manufactured right here in America. Contains a potent blend of adaptogens that promote healthier telomeres and longer lifespans. It boosts energy, can support regeneration of healthy organ systems, and you can try Youth Switch for yourself risk free today and you get a free bottle of Ageless Brain as a bonus, which is a great product to help you improve focus, memory, and mood. And you also receive four bonus eBooks to boost every aspect of your health and, and longevity. Go to youthswitchmd.com slash ricochet to claim your supply of Youth Switch and all five bonus gifts. That's youthswitchmd, all one word, youthswitch, W-I-T-C-H-M-D.com slash ricochet. Order Youth Switch today. You know, I just got my bottle um, two weeks ago, and so I'll, I'll report back. It sounds... I already I already think I'm smart. Um, I don't know about living longer, but we'll find out. Uh, we thank well, you. We'll switch there. We will. Well, I will find out. You won't. You well, don't you won't. It doesn't switch. work. <laughs> That's true. That'll be the last thing I'll find out. Um, but we thank you, Switch. They're a new uh, sponsor, and we thank them for joining us and sponsoring the Rick Shea pro- uh, podcast. So wait, um, I was going to ask you, uh, Charlie, about this stupid blogger law. So the law is. In Florida, that's been proposed. It sounds dumb. It sounds kind of pointless, but it sounds like the kind of thing that everybody's getting in there uh, upset about. Um, so essentially, what does the law say? Okay. Uh, well, Peter said I had some time to to think up my my pushback. I actually wrote about this this morning, so I'm already committed to that position. And that position is: this is an unbelievably dumb idea. It is unconstitutional federally and it's unconstitutional under the florida state constitution the idea is that if you are a blogger whatever that means who wants to criticize the executive branch in florida 
and everyone in it, then you have to register with the state within five days of doing so. <laughs> Presumptively unconstitutional. It's, it's bad on the merits. But here's my defense of it. Well, not of it, but here's my caveat. This one guy, it's not a bill. Right. It's not DeSantis. This is, no, this it's is some being lame brain. reported because it's Florida. As right. if this is it's Florida part man. of the legislative session. The uh, truth is, it's one guy from Seminole County who's a state senator who just won for the first time, who wrote this bill, sponsored his bill, said, hey, is there anyone who wants to come along with me on this? And met with silence and tumbleweeds. Uh, this happens. Florida is only in, the legislature is only in session for two months every year. And as a result, the majority of the work that is done that is going to make it into legislation and then into signed legislation after that is done before those two months start. Pre-filling, it's called. The bills that are going to make it somewhere, the, the bills that people ought to be thrilled by or worried about are already a matter of public record. This right. is one guy in Seminole County with an IQ of about 17 who has decided that it would be a good idea if we registered bloggers. Now, to give you an indication of why I'm not the slightest bit worried about this, there is another bill at the moment in Florida that is also going nowhere that was written by one person and that has only one sponsor, the author, this one by a Democrat, that would ban Floridians from allowing their dogs to stick their heads out of the windows in cars. <laughs> this Good is luck. crazy state legislator stuff. There's a bill in Texas from some Republican who's, I think, said the more kids you have, the more money the state will send you. There, I'm sure there are crazy bills in Iowa. There are always crazy bills in California in the other direction that have one or two sponsors. I am happy to condemn this. I think the statement put out by fire was absolutely right. It is presumptively unconstitutional, and this guy in Seminole County should be ashamed of himself. But it's not a thing, as the kids say. Right. But is it a good politics? I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming he doesn't. I'm, I'm giving him the not. benefit of it, but I'm giving him the benefit of a doubt. Like he doesn't have an IQ of 70, but he's looking around. He's seeing like, oh, it's all this like in my district, I can make a lot of hay and be a crusader against the, uh, you know, the, the Constitution. News. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> There's something's behind this. I, I guess I'm, I should take him at face value. That he really wants people to start. He wants to register First Amendment, register for First Amendment rights. But it seems to me that um, that there's a political calculation here, which is sort of interesting. I mean, maybe well, it's dumb, it but it seems to me that it, if anything, it's gross sycophancy toward the governor. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Probably unprompted and unwanted sycophancy, but sycophancy nevertheless. Nonetheless, Rob would be familiar with that. He gets it. All the time oh on, my the God, on the subway, which is why Constantly, he's so in favor yeah. of smartphones. <laughs> exactly. Bearing yourself with a smartphone. All right. Uh, and I, 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 I know we want to wrap, but before we do, um, you wrote, uh, Charlie, you wrote uh, um, a pretty blistering piece about um, Biden's uh, <laughs> magic wand, his his gift. Oh, yeah. To, I want to hear Charlie on this. Gift right. to, the, to, the, to, his, to his subjects. Um, it's almost like one of those, like, uh, on the feast of the goddess of, you know, fire, I eliminate your debt. Um, <laughs> how much trouble are we in if this thing isn't struck down by the Supreme Court? And then how much trouble are we in politically if it is? 
I don't think we're in any trouble if it is. I'm afraid I'm not sunny on this question. I think that this is a constitutional crisis, and I use the term consciously and advisedly. I think this is a constitutional crisis of Joe Biden's making. And I think that if this is upheld on standing grounds, which is the only way it can be upheld, the on the merits argument is preposterous right? and has no chance in any court. So the standing ground is essentially that the people um, who have challenged this law in court right. have no standing to do so. They didn't. They are not party to it. They have no no harm. Right, uh, and uh, yes, that is the uh, that is the, the the way of looking at it. Although I would point out that that it it's a threshold issue. I mean, clearly, the people in question have been harmed, but the the court often narrows its standing window because otherwise it would be overrun by cases you know, you but, know, but if you what if you say it's like you know you know anything anything under 400 billion dollars is not harm but <laughs> anything over four, half a trillion a is, right. we're talking about half a trillion dollars right look i the, the reason i think this is a is a potential disaster is that if this ends up being upheld on standing grounds the supreme court will have ratified a massive hole in the Constitution, and will have signaled that under its standing jurisprudence, if the executive branch can find a law somewhere that has some vague reference to any topic, right. and if the executive branch can find a way of using that law to do something that is ostensibly benevolent, then there is no judicial role to play in superintending separation of powers. And I don't see a limiting principle there. Uh, I assume that this will become the norm because every time in the last 30, 40, maybe even 80 years, the executive branch has discovered a new way of aggrandizing itself within our constitutional order. It has taken it and it has pocketed it. And the, the example I always give is of a, a rogue Republican administration that decides for a year not to s collect taxes. If the, if the argument here is, as it seems to be, that the harms that are caused by a given action have to be direct and discrete and identifiable, if the argument is that no one is really harmed by the federal government giving away $400 billion from the treasury and that taxpayers don't count because their claim is too attenuated, then it's actually hard to see who would be harmed if the federal government, for example, said, well, we're just not collecting any income taxes, even if Congress has told it to. Correct. Right. And you know, I know that after a certain point, Congress would probably wake up and uh, start changing the law or issuing a writ of mandamus or impeaching the president if it got too far. But the risk here is that these, these actions are limited only to behaviors from the government that are generally perceived to be friendly. <laughs> and the reason I... Right. 
go down that rabbit hole is that if you go back to the founding, what the founders are mostly worried about is tyranny that would be recognizable by anyone. They're worried that the government will smash up the printing presses. They're worried that the government will take away the guns or imprison people without due process. They're worried about the rise of a Julius Caesar. What they had not countenanced or at least not provided for, if this standing doctrine holds, is the president who behaves like Oprah and says, everyone, under your seats, there is. Right. Yeah, well, here's a car for you, and then turns around and says, well, who was harmed by that? Oh, no, it doesn't count, by the way, the, the people who uh, are on the hook. That doesn't count. I'm very worried about it. Uh, Rob, as usual, it falls to you to find a cheery note on which to close up the show. <laughs> yeah, I can't, except that, th- yeah, I can't, I can't. Um, I'm, I'm Charlie, desperate. by the way, in my own yeah. humble reading of this, Charlie is completely Completely correct. right. Yeah. The court has backed itself into a position in which the, the standing, the jurisprudence of standing has now become an absurdity. You get to do anything unconstitutional you want, Mr. President, as long as nobody has standing to sue you and incidentally taxpayers ordinary americans ordinary american citizens don't right it's an absurdity which it seems has to occur to at least clarence thomas but he's only one of nine clarence thomas and, 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 like and, they, and they, Amy they Coney did Barrett. Seem, i can get it up to two but yeah they did ahead. seem um or just from my reading of the transcript they did seem skeptical did they not yeah, but what they part? should have said was, get the hell out of here. Are you kidding? They should have said, go. I'm not saying, by the way, that this isn't going to come down in the right way. I'm just saying that the way that this is covered, as so often, is limited to whether or not cancelling student loans, by which they mean transferring student loans to the people who didn't borrow and spend the money, correct, is a good idea. And I'm saying that I think that this is an inflection point in American constitutional law. That's why I'm so worried about it. Right. I mean, if you're the, the, the counter, not the counter argument, but one of the things people say is, well, listen, we bailed out all the banks in 2008. Well, Congress did. Right. So Congress can do this, Rob. I would be livid because I oppose the policy, but it would be absolutely legal if Congress decided to pass a bill that instructed the executive branch to remove $10,000 from every student loan holders balance. That's legal. Congress has that power. It, it issued the loans in the first place. I think taxpayers should be angry and vote them out if they do that, but that's not the question here. The bailouts that the cavalers don't like were congressionally passed. The uh, tax subsidies right. to business or rich people or the middle class that the cavalers don't like are passed through Congress. And if this is going to be done, it has to be as well. I'm trying desperately to find something cheer- cheerful, but I, exactly. I don't know if I can. Set up. Can, can we go back? Set up, Maybe set you could change your mind, Charlie, about Laurie Lightfoot. It was good, right? We're going end on a good, you know? Yes, it was maybe. good. It was good. We were all thrilled to see the, the end of that. At least one At least one of the little tiny Caesars fell. Um, this is the moment when Cliff pipes up and says something so complete, some total non sequitur. Yeah. Everyone finds irresistible. <laughs> no, but this is real life. Um, uh, uh, but, so before we go, um, do we uh, do we have anything? I mean, uh, I'm breaking a rule here and talking about 2024. It's so early. 
Um, but we are seeing That's the only way out of this conversation, baby. Right, exactly. But we are seeing, um, you know, the beginnings of uh, of a uh, you know stirrings of a campaign. Mike Pompeo's out. Nikki Haley's out. Uh, the governor of Florida is not in Florida. It, I, am, am I wrong to be optimistic about this? It seems like it's going to be sort of an interesting, um, uh, an interesting race on the Republican side with some compelling candidates who have messages and things to say. One of whom we've heard from many, 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 many times, and I think we might be bored of. The others are new and fresh and seem interesting. Um, I, I'm the down Democrats with all that. Seem like, I, yeah, Democrats I, I, seem like they've made their peace with Joe Biden as a as the as the as presumptive nominee. Um, yes. What am I missing? The, the, uh, well, you, you, we do have to get through the books. We just have to somehow or other <laughs> transcend the books. Pompeo's book is out. It's entitled Never Give an Inch. Pompeo's tough. He's smart. He's a remarkable man. But the only blurb on the back cover of the book is by Mike Pompeo. And here's the blurb. <laughs> here's the blurb. My new book reads like a thriller with stories from my heart. Huh. Oh no, that's Wait a impeachable. Minute. He He's not even <laughs> he blurred his own book. It was a blurb written All by right. a chatbot or an editor. Right. The, no difference between the two. That's an impeachable offense, and the man hasn't even been elected. Well, a thriller with stories from my heart. That doesn't seem. He seems like mixed metaphors there. Yeah, it's a romance with stories from my heart. It's a thriller with stories from my past. Um, <laughs> All right, poor guy. All right, so for the the first weird mis weird mistake of the twenty twenty four. Are these guys? There's work to be done here. These guys need right. to tune up. In my humble opinion, Charlie, I think it's going to be really interesting primary as long as there aren't too many people. If you get to 12, 13 people, you have the same structural problems you had last time, and it will be impossible to hear anyone speak for more than 10 seconds. If it sticks at six or seven, I think it'll be great. Yeah, it seems like it could be really interesting. Um, all right. So that's is that, is that positive enough for you, Peter? Yeah, yeah, that'll do. That'll do. Although it's not very funny. Well, well stay tuned. I think I think Pompeo's blurb's pretty funny, by the way. <laughs> oh, actually, there I give that to you for free. There's your next column for NR. Exactly. Self blurbs. Um, yeah. Self blurbs. A riveting read. Uh, <laughs> a riveting read. Uh, it'll you'll laugh, you'll cry, you won't put it down. Uh, Dick, uh, Charles Dickens blurbing Nicholas Nickleby or something. <laughs> I just, right, right. I was out of my seat and applauding, you know, William Shakespeare on Julius Caesar. Um, all right. That's enough of a laugh. Um, we should, before we go, we have to say that this podcast is brought to you by Ball and Branch Sheets. You know, Ball and Branch has been a longtime supporter of ours. And you switch, a new supporter of ours. We hope to check out you switch. So please support them for supporting us. And they really do support us. So um, if you like it, if you like us, you should be liking them. Um, and, you know, if you like us and you should liking them, you should join us at ricochet.com. Lots happening at Ricochet. Um, meetups are happening. They're fun. We have a bunch of coming up. There's a chance to meet the actual king of stuff, John Gabriel. He'll be in Phoenix on March 11th, which is, you know, kind of right, right around the corner. Uh, and a bunch of us are going to be in New Orleans for French Quarter Fest in uh, April. Check it out. Um, I will be there for sure. Uh, and Flickr, a uh, member Flickr, has set April 22nd as the date for the Stillwater, Minnesota meetup. And James Lilacs is on the record. Um, that he'd be going unless he's in Spain. I don't think he's going to be in Spain. James in Spain? I don't think so. Um, and if these are far, too far away or whatever, the dates don't work out, there's a solution. Join Ricochet and make one happen closer to you. Just post on the Ricochet member feed, hey, meet up where I am. We will come to you. I promise you, people in Rick Ricochet members like to get together. So for details on all of this, go to uh, ricochet.com slash events. You can find the module on the sidebar on the website. 
Um, also, I, I, I'm not, as you can see, I'm rusty at this. The, uh, James always reminds you to uh, take a minute and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. There's a magnificent algorithm soon, according to James Polis, to take over all of our lives. Um, but in the meantime, uh, put, give us a five-star review, and that moves us up and allows new listeners to discover, and that helps keep the show going and helps um, keep Ricochet front and center. So um, thanks for joining us, guys, and we'll see everyone else in the comments uh, and see you guys next week. Next week, boys. Ricochet. Join the conversation.